Mom and Dad. I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to sleepaway camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba, Reba. Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Sleepaway camp. You won't be coming home. Oh, you want to play psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I am the eater of wolves and of children. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another creepy installment of the greatest October in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. This is episode number 244, Sleepaway Camp. Always good to combine our two favorite topics, horror movies and summer camp. Yes, and on the surface, this would seem to be overlapping with our recent... Give us a second, Friday the 13th style. Mm-hmm. But I think once you dive into this movie, you realize it's not really that similar to Friday the 13th. Yeah, not really. And it's its own weird, unique thing that definitely stands out. Yeah, it's somehow more bizarre than any Friday the 13th, including when Jason is in space. <laughs> I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners maybe aren't super familiar with this movie. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's available on Blu-ray from Scream Factory. I know you can stream it for free in a couple of different places, including Shudder. Yeah. I think Amazon Prime, maybe, or somewhere else. Well, it's on Shudder, which is th- through Prime. You can... Okay. Yeah. This was a first-time watch for me. Yeah, I've been hyping it up to you for years, and you finally watched it. Yeah, that's a long list of things. Yeah, this one's been on the schedule for a while. I've been wanting to get to it. We're finally here. We're doing it. It's sort of a cult classic. I will say it's not what I pictured. I definitely was thinking it was much more like camp counselors getting into trouble, getting killed by a slasher. Yeah. Really not like that. No, it's something completely its own thing. That's right, yes. There's not really much to compare it to beyond the surface level. That's true. It stands apart. Once you get into it, it's a little bit different it was written and directed by robert hiltzik it came out 10 days after my birthday whoa in the year i was born 1983 holy shit two monumental events within 10 days yes although i think it didn't really get like a wider release until 84 
But before we talk about Sleepaway Camp, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, anywhere you get your podcast that we show up on. That's right. We're not even sure of all of the different platforms. We were stunned to find that we were on more than just <laughs> Apple Podcasts at one point. We it, were like, well, how did this happen? Right. It is weird to just Google the show and have it come up associated with so many different things. If you'd like a sticker for free, one that is really just our logo, you can reach out on Twitter and we'll send that to you. Yeah. It doesn't really advertise the show or anything. It's more <laughs> one of those if you know, you know type things. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sort of how we've rolled for the last five and a half years or so. We sort of just do it our own way. It's a secret show. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And finally, on Letterboxd, you can find me, Zach1983, logging movies. I've slowed down dramatically. I know it seems like I still log a lot, but my pace has completely fallen off a cliff. I think you need to take a break. It's okay. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta... I was worried about burnout with you. Oh, there's been burnout. Yeah. (laughs) You can find Matt at Matt Crosby. He's at a much slower pace. It's just a snail's pace, really. Yeah. Still hasn't watched Halloween Kills yet, so we're not going to talk about it on this podcast, which I thought we would. Okay. But you dropped the ball, as usual. All right. (laughs) Just wait till we get to Matt's recommendation. (laughs) I'm not doing one. Yeah, we are supposed to start recording like two hours ago, and most of that time was fighting about whether or not Matt could do his recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't really that passionate about it. Matt was like walking off the show. Yeah. Like slamming down the mic. (laughs) (laughs) We almost had to release Best Of for this week because there wasn't going to be a new episode. (laughs) That'd be a pretty short (laughs) clip. Okay, so let's get into it. We're rolling through Greatest October. Did you say rate and review? Because I like to remind people to review the show. I don't think I did, so go ahead. I enjoy when we get a review that points out how we're, we're sort of the anti-rewatchables, <laughs> <laughs> which we've had a few of. I enjoy that. Yeah, it's all in good fun. Totally. I don't think you ever listen to the rewatchables, but I do. I listen to it sporadically. Yeah, I'll skip it if I'm not interested in the subject, but I listen yeah. to most of them. It's one of those shows that I'll listen to when I'm on planes. <laughs> it's not a must listen, but it's a plane listen. That's right. Here and there. So yeah, we're rolling through Greatest October. This year, we crammed two episodes right at the end of September, so we've gotten off to a little bit of a slower start. We're still hopeful to get a few more episodes in before the end of the month, so it'll be a busy schedule. Keep your eye on the feed. Make sure you're subscribed. This is truly our busy season. Yeah. A lot of last minute decisions, schedule say, changes. There could still be stuff showing up that like we don't even know about at this point as yeah. we record. Yeah, there was actually a pretty dramatic schedule change that just was decided. Yeah. Sort of. But although not even a hundred percent committed to. Life events, injuries are happening all the time. Oh god. You know? I didn't even want to have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> just horrifying. Yeah, really. Sleepaway Camp was written and directed by Robert Hiltzik, which I said. He didn't really do much else after this. I think he left the film industry. I think he became like a lawyer or something. Left or was asked to never (laughs) return? (laughs) How dare you? It had a $350,000 budget. It made a surprising $11 million at the box office. It was a sleeper hit. 
It's become a true cult classic, and the reason would be the ending, which we're not going to spoil, but we're going to talk about Matt's first reactions to it. Yeah. Who had no idea what was coming. Shockwaves, I would say. A couple pieces to the end. One is relatively obvious. The second part of it, not so much. I wasn't expecting that. Certainly the visual element of it either. It's not just what the reveal is, it's how the reveal yes, is shown. Yes, absolutely. Where you're just stunned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, okay, this is a turn. It's definitely an interesting topic to discuss, and we will get into it when we reach the ending. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on a preamble. I want to jump right in, because I think we'll talk more at the end than we usually do for okay. a movie like this. Yes. There'll be less up front, more at the back. That's right. Basically, it was a lot of New York theater kids bust up to Glen Falls. Are yeah. you familiar? In uh, upstate New it's York. Way, it's like north of New York City, so it's... Yeah, it's way up there. Yeah. It's a very eastern part of the state. And they made a semi-slasher film using the POV, Serial Killer at a Summer Camp. But what makes it interesting is that Camp Arawak of Sleepaway Camp is just packed to the gills with pedophiles and perverts. <laughs> All kinds of weird shit going on at this place. Really just an aggressive dialogue from everyone here. The campers, the counselors, they're all kind of always like swearing at each other. Yeah, there's like a bad news bears feel to yeah. these kids. It's very like rough around the edges. <laughs> Eat shit and die <laughs> just while playing baseball. I was a little bit like, this is when Camp Waziata stops being polite and starts, <laughs> starts getting being real. real. <laughs> yeah, the comparisons will come into Friday the 13th, but frankly, other than it being a summer camp horror movie, there really is not yeah. a lot that is the same. Well, this is way more of a camp movie than yes. the original Friday the 13th is. Yeah, we have real campers who are real kids. Obviously, there's a sort of an age disparity amongst some of the counselors, but the kids are all legitimately kids. Oh, yeah. Which is rare because a lot of times they would go with someone who's like 18 so that they could have the full day of filming. They had to film around the various rules with child actors. You can't do more than a certain amount of hours and all that stuff. So it probably took longer to film than it normally would for something like this. Yeah. We got to see all that lost footage. Bet you there's some good stuff. The movie opens on a little montage of a boarded-up camp. I love this part. During the off-season. This opening credit sequence I thought was amazing. Yeah, it looks really cool until you realize that once the actual movie starts that the fall foliage is the same yeah. because they didn't actually film <laughs> this right. during the summer, yeah. and it clearly is not warm-looking at all. Right. <laughs> but this part does kind of start you out with a really like creepy vibe. It is so weird. I mean, it's kind of like if you're like at an amusement park or a college campus or anything where there's like people during specific times. Yeah. And then you're there when there's no one there and it has like this weird aura to it. The movie then transitions to 1975. We have John Baker and his partner Lenny taking John's children, Angela and Peter, on a boating trip near Camp Arawak. And one of the things that always gets discussed with this opening scene is the ambiguity of it all, which I do think that once you realize the full scope of the story makes sense, but it's hard to even piece it all together on multiple viewings. Like what exactly they're even going for. 
especially for a film that came out in 1983 when a homosexual relationship being depicted on screen was yeah. super rare. That did take me by surprise. Wasn't expecting Well, you're not that. even sure yeah. from this sequence. Well, that's true. Yeah. The relationship between these characters is confusing. You're not sure what's going on. But basically, you have two small children, a boy and a girl, Angela and Peter, and their father, they're on this little boat. Angela and Peter prank their father by capsizing the boat. They're like right by the shore. It's just a little goof. They're in the water. They all attempt to swim to shore where Lenny is waiting for them. Well, it starts as a goof. But tragedy strikes. Yeah. (laughs) A camp counselor named Mary Anna recklessly drives a speedboat into John and Peter, killing them both and leaving just Angela alive. Just a really bad job (laughs) with this speedboat. You kind of get the feeling that Mary Anna is an entitled monster and that she's not going to be taking any of the blame for this. No, I don't think so. (laughs) That poor schmuck that that, she's sitting next to. That dude's going to jail for the rest of his life. (laughs) Even though she basically harassed him into letting her drive the boat, claiming that she knew how. Then she pays zero attention to where they're going and (laughs) drives into people. Yeah. Although, ultimately, the dude does mess everything up because... As in like a panic move, yeah. he like slams on the gas. <laughs> it's kind of like whatever happened to baby Jane. Yeah. Nobody really was their best self in right? that moment. <laughs> it all went horribly wrong. We jump to eight years later. Angela now lives with her eccentric aunt, Dr. Martha Thomas, and Martha's son, Ricky. I was doing some recasting for like the modern adaptation of this. I was thinking Zoe Deschanel for Martha. <laughs> Yeah, I think purely based on aesthetic, like looks. Yeah, she, well, she's she's quirky. Yeah, I guess. I think that on the Joe Bob Briggs presentation of Sleepaway Camp, Felissa Rose, who stars in this movie as Angela, yeah. she wanted to play Aunt Martha like in a remake or oh, a reboot. That would be fun. This actress in this film, Desiree Gould, as Aunt Martha, is one of the things that stands out about this movie. She almost is like in a completely different film than everyone else. Absolutely. She's this over-the-top character. The way she talks is insane. She's really like going for this whole crazy vibe. She does like asides. To herself. Yeah, Yeah, there's no one else on screen, but she's making comments to herself. Yeah, and always like asking questions to herself. No, that won't do. Would it? Yeah. And that's what makes movies like Sleepaway Camp stand out, and that's why they become cult classics, because there's these oddball moments, and this movie's got a lot of them. I'd say. They're just things that don't necessarily push the plot forward. They're character choices. They're just little weird details, odd little moments, whatever. It's kind of like most of the guys' attire at camp. You're just like, huh. (laughs) And those things get shaved down nowadays to where every movie has this generic uniformity right i think even in a remake of sleepaway camp they're probably going to get rid of all of the weird little details yeah which is what makes something like this interesting it would probably just be like a much more grim version that seems to be the way people take these things now yeah i'm reminded of our discussion of the two different versions of the beguiled oh yes the original with clint eastwood compared to the sofia coppola remake and that's like a perfect example. Absolutely. They shave down everything that's sort of weird and unique about that original version, and they 
they make it into a decent movie, but it just loses anything special about it. Yeah, it loses that sort of weird charm. And Aunt Martha is definitely a part of Sleepaway Camp's weird charm. I'd say so, yeah. (laughs) She's only in a couple scenes, and they stand out for sure. Right. A lot of the times, these like weird flashbacks that will go on throughout the movie, it's almost like they're on this generic soundstage. They're not even like in a real house or True. place, yeah. which also adds to it. You're yeah. like, what is this? Hurry, sweeties! We don't want to be late for the boss! Goodness, no. no. That wouldn't do at all. Richard! Angela! Oh, here you are! Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? Any chips? Why, of course. I believe there's a whole bag. Well, I'm almost sure of it. Angela, isn't there anything special my little girl would care for? Hmm? We gotta go, Mom. It's getting late. Why, of course you do, dear. We wouldn't want them to leave without us, now would we? No? No, I'm afraid that that wouldn't do. Come, children. Let's be on our way. Now what? I believe that I've forgotten something. Now what can it be? Oh, I remember what it is. I knew I wouldn't forget. I just kept reminding myself. In fact, I tied a string around... around my finger so I wouldn't forget. See? And I didn't. You never can be too careful. Oh. Well, what is it already? Just a moment. I'll be right back. Good old mom's at it again. Here they are, all filled out and signed by yours truly. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? What are they? Why, they're your physicals, of course. We can't go to camp without our physicals now, can we? Just be careful not to tell anyone how you got them. Oh, no, no. I'm afraid that they wouldn't approve of that at all. Even though they know that I am a doctor. No matter what they do, I'll never tell. Oh, you're such a dear. Well, run along now. So long, Mom. Goodbye, my angel. I hope you have a good time. But of course you will. Take good care of my little girl, Richard. Goodbye, Mom. Goodbye, dear. Aunt Martha is sending Angela to camp for the first time, along with her cousin Ricky, who has attended the camp previously. But get this, she's sending them to Camp Arawak, you know, the place where little Angela witnessed her father and brother (laughs) killed in a horrific accident. It does seem like that would be on the list of places that they wouldn't go back to ever, or not (laughs) certainly not force a child to return to. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, and we're going to discover this throughout the course of this film, this movie is very much about trauma. Yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) And what happens when you don't really deal with it, (laughs) or if you deal with it in the wrong way. Angela is now played by 13-year-old Felissa Rose, who's gone on to have a career of mostly like B and C-level 
horror stuff, straight to video kind okay. of stuff. But she's a fun character, IRL. I enjoyed her on The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob and just seems like a fun lady. She's married to the front man of CKY. Oh, wow. In sort of a weird story where he would like wear her face from the movie. Oh, gosh. As like a shirt or like on his guitar. And she didn't even know who he was and was like, who's this guy? And then she just like went and met him at the request of his agent. And they got married like in 24 hours. <laughs> and they're still together. That was like Yikes. 15 years ago. What a crazy story. <laughs> Angela is completely introverted, almost entirely silent at first. You would definitely believe she's been damaged by this past trauma. Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to lay out here. Her go-to move is that blank stare, which is sort of unnerving. Yeah. she I mean, got any- big, dark eyes. Yeah. Anyone who just never talks, I mean, that's creepy enough on its own. Of course, this will undoubtedly make her an easy target for bullying and ridicule at Camp Arawak. As mentioned, they didn't actually film this during the summer, so you definitely see some fall foliage peeking through. They did paint a lot of the stuff green. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't get all of it. It's definitely still there, and it definitely seems overcast and cold a lot. There was definitely times of my life, like long periods of time, where I was kind of like this. I didn't. I was pretty shy. Would be around people for like long periods of time, not really talk. Yeah, like I wouldn't really talk unless people like dragged me into it. And everyone was kind of like, "We liked that better when you were like that." (laughs) They're trying to push you back. (laughs) Yeah, get back there. Right. (laughs) Like Felissa Rose, the campers are all real kids. The counselors, though, are. A wide variety of ages. Some appear to be about 18 or 19, some as old as 45. It's hard to tell what's going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, I know. The staff is interesting. There it just are, seems like they'll just take anybody. There's tiny shorts and crop tops for the guys. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is interesting because unlike a lot of 80s slasher films, which have a lot of boob shots and, and girl nudity, there's zero female nudity in this. There's male nudity in it and that is odd yeah even if if it's not downright nudity it's a lot of homoerotic undertones to Vibes. a lot of this stuff yeah. yeah it's definitely unique for this right. time period for sure yeah you get the sense that um, mel wasn't doing a lot of background checks when people were applying <laughs> to work at camp well, especially for the cooking stuff yeah, really <laughs> yes so the first thing that we're going to notice here Artie, the cook Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. This movie is super un-PC. There's just, just no way around it. Relentless criminal refusing to be discreet. Look at all that young, fresh chicken. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Makes your mouth water, don't it? Artie, they are too young to even understand what's on your mind. Then, good buddy, there ain't no such thing as being too young. You're just too old. <laughs> when he sees the new campers arriving, he excitedly proclaims, get a look at all this fresh young chicken. And then he says, where I come from, we call them baldies. I know. And, and first, I was like, where does he come from? Prison? When he made the fresh chickens comment at first, I'm like, oh, that must mean something else. And then he doubles down. And I'm like, oh, must mean nope. Artie's not a good guy. He's got quite the summer in mind. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, this is another thing that if they actually do a reboot or remake of Sleepaway Camp, they're never gonna go this far with it. They might make like a creepy guy get killed because that is sort of in line with yeah. horror stuff now. It's like men getting their comeuppance for being like a creep or something. But they wouldn't go this far. Not with like oh, yeah. the pedophile angle. Holy fuck. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> Before they get to camp, one of the things that struck me was Dr. Aunt Martha, when she's like, oh yeah, here's your physicals. Yeah. Is a physical required to attend camp? It might be. That seems kind of wild. It might be, yeah. Well... They got to make sure you're in good enough shape. They're not going to get sued if you injure yourself in Oddly a enough, or part of it is probably having your various vaccines that's right and yeah all that kind of stuff so we've ricky angela's cousin played by jonathan tierston he has a past flame from camp named judy yeah wow played by karen Fields. seems like judy's had a little bit of a puberty moment and she's now a passed bit, him up bit of a uh, firecracker huh yeah she's drawn the attention of some of the older boys now and ricky's <laughs> yeah. on the outs ricky's old news judy's gonna be one of the Big characters of the movie. She has some of the best lines. She's just a, a total bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> really just not willing to let Angela have anything. Oh, no. That's clear. She hates Angela <laughs> for some reason. The early dynamic at camp is actually pretty simple. Angela is bunkmates with Judy, who is a queen bee bully. She, along with one of the girls' counselors, Meg, Yeah are two of Angela's primary antagonists. Meg is definitely the bad cop of the counselors, at least in this bunk. Angela's other counselor, Susie. The good cop. And the camp's head counselor, Ronnie, who is one of the people who seems like they're 45. Right. Do what they can to help. And, of course, Ricky ends up finding himself investing a significant amount of his camp time. Often having to defend Angela. In, in being Angela's guardian. Yeah. In all fairness, Angela is slightly unnerving. She yeah. does stare a lot. You can understand why people would be rubbed the wrong way by her. My reaction would probably be a little bit more just freaked out. I don't know if I would get angry about it the way yeah. that Judy does. It seems like it inspires people to want to fuck with her. <laughs> yes. I don't know what the deal with that is, but that does seem to be prominent. Pretty early on in the movie, we see the first threads of the 65-year-old camp manager mel oh yeah sort of grab assing with meg who has to be <laughs> yeah really at most 18 19 and i'm saying at most yeah it's wild it is and this is just another nuts. thing that's thrown in there yeah just a part of camp life i also noticed early on there's a scene where angela doesn't want to eat and it's infuriating to meg <laughs> and so ronnie ends up coming over he's like this Vinny Barbarino type wearing the tiniest shorts pulled all the way up. <laughs> and so when he stands, because he crouches down next to Angela, and then when he stands up, his his bulge is like right next to her. And I'm just like, Jesus I know. Christ. You would think a lot of these outfits would be like banned. Not in the 80s, yeah. maybe. Woo! <laughs> the amount of dudes wearing crop top shirts and some of them like as high as to like just going below the peck region <laughs> like barely and I'm like, a lot of chest hair yeah like what dudes are wearing this <laughs> it's an interesting camp it is when ronnie brings angela into the kitchen in hopes of finally getting her to eat something head cook Artie straight up attempts to molest her 
middle of the day, slamming beers. Yeah, drunk. Yeah. Horned up for children, apparently. Good Lord. Thankfully, Ricky catches him in time, and he and Angela run out of the kitchen. No fear from Artie of getting caught. Well, being... he does. He threatens Ricky. He yeah, but... throws him against the wall and is like, never say anything about this to anyone. But then Artie walks out of the closet, doesn't even take the time to fully button up his belt. You know, he's like still putting his belt back on as he walks back into the kitchen where there's like other adults there. I don't like to negatively fixate on people's appearances, but Artie is rough. Hard guy to look at. Yeah, and it doesn't get any better. No. Shortly thereafter, an unseen figure causes Artie to knock over a pot of boiling water yeah. and severely scald himself. It's nice. It is horrifying looking. They don't mess around with this. You know what I mean? It's not like Artie sticks around for a while. They introduce this guy that's just despicable and they're like how do we get rid of this guy as quick as possible yeah i will say that for a very low budget movie they have to get sort of creative with how they do the kills a couple of times because they just didn't have the budget to do much a couple of them look pretty gnarly and this is is one of them yeah Artie's is good and it's kind of like that that thing where they really make him suffer there's like this whole psychological element where He's kind of like hanging above it for a minute before Uh it all happens, you know? So there's a little bit of torture element to it as well. And then his skin turning to boils. Camp owner Mel is quick to label the incident just an accident (laughs) and wants to move past it very quickly. (laughs) No bad publicity here. You know, we did have an incident on this lake some eight years ago. Artie's not actually dead yet, but horribly disfigured. The doctor seems to not really be giving a good prognosis, though. I think the implication is that he might die. Yeah. I think if you get burned bad enough, it is very dangerous because of the risk of infection, I mean, all over his body at that point, really. It's really a rough road to recovery. Yeah, it's dark. They're even saying things like, is he going to be able to see still? Time will tell. When you actually watch... The scene, you see adult hands pulling away his chair to knock him into it and the whole thing. Yeah. There's a lot of like weird misdirection in this. Which There's multiple killers. Yeah. <laughs> this was Mel. But pretty early on, it seems obvious that it has to be either Ricky or Angela. They pretty much narrow it down. Yeah, yeah. Every incident involves those two and then someone getting killed. It's not really a Shortly big thereafter. Shock. Like right after there's a conflict with... Yeah. That they have with someone, that person is then killed. There's a lot of weird stuff in this movie that they would never do today beyond just the obvious, too. Some of the boys are playing that gag where you convince a naive camper that they aren't going to be able to do a sit up just to have like a naked butt in their face when they actually do it. Yeah. They did the same thing in Everybody Wants Some. Right. The Link Later movie, although they are above 18, it's sort of weird. This young boy is pulling his butt out in this it is strange it's weird they would put that in a movie well there's that skinny dipping scene too and i'm not sure if they're all supposed to be above 18 or what i don't know (laughs) just a strange movie shocking amount of guys at this camp there's an absurd baseball sequence that has to be included just to pad all of this movie out. Oh, I know. Because this movie is like under 90 minutes, and then there's like the, randomly an eight-minute baseball Which scene. doesn't drive the plot forward no. at all, but it is hilarious. You're seeing multiple <laughs> at-bats. I know. It's like, what is this? 
it sets up a rivalry between Ricky and some of those other boys, which leads into other stuff. Well, again, this is another scene with just like nonstop shit talking with yeah. these dudes. You would think like one of the counselors would be like, guys, cool it. <laughs> I know. Like, not a lot of rules at this right? camp. On Bug Juice, they're not even allowed to have candy. I know. <laughs> I think you'd be kicked out of Waziata if you were talking <laughs> this like candy, this. Like, suck my fucking dick, <laughs> you shithead <Right>. motherfucker. <laughs> That night, there's some big-time homoerotic skinny-dipping plans, like 15 dudes. They're, like, looking for chicks. They even talk about it. They're like, oh, man, skinny-dipping with 15 dudes and five chicks? That No, it's zero. Oh, yeah, zero chicks. Like, that sucks. And then they do it. <laughs> so they ask Angela. Of course, she doesn't say anything, yeah. which infuriates them. So when campers Kenny and Mike mock Angela, Ricky and his friend Paul fight them, there's, like, an all-out brawl. This leads to an unexpected friendship blossoming between Paul and Angela. So let's talk about this common room. We see it a few times. It's like a big hall at this camp, I guess. This is very much a part of what I think of as the graffitied 80s. It's not quite the same used 80s thing that we would talk about with like Fabulous Baker Boys or Bull Durham or something where it just is a world that is completely gone by modern day now. This is just how a lot of the world was portrayed in film and television in the 80s, which was just like everything covered in graffiti. Everyone's like a heavy metal person or a punk rocker. Very scary. Everybody smokes cigarettes. Cigarettes and switchblades. Oh, yeah. This place is covered in graffiti. People wearing like chainmail vests. (laughs) Yeah, there's always like a weird BDSM feel to (laughs) like people's clothes for some reason. It just doesn't seem like the type of place that parents would want to send their kids to. It just doesn't look nice. No. (laughs) Counselors and Mel don't seem that concerned with the brawl. Like no one's jumping in and being like, kids, stop fighting. (laughs) It goes on for like a while. Yeah, Mel is really like, I I mean, this camp is kind of a scam. Like, let's just get these kids in and then it's just like free reign. Judy, of course, is monitoring the whole situation that starts to develop between Ricky's friend Paul and Angela. She just can't let Angela be happy. Yes. Well, there is a little bit of like a woman in prison vibe in in their bunk. (laughs) Yeah. Meg really playing that up. Hey, Angela, how's this? Remind you of anyone you know? Yo, Angela, how come you're so fucked up? I mean, like, what's your problem? Hey, dick face, leave her alone. Oh, yeah? What are you going to do about it, asshole? Folks, I'm going to beat your fucking ass in it. You and what are you? Oh, shut up and let's go. Come on. Shut your mouth, will you melt here? I'll give a shit. You know, I think I better take you over to your infirmary before your mouth gets you in any more trouble. You are right? Yeah, I guess so. Don't worry about it, Rick. We'll get it back. Come on, let's get out of here. Hi, I'm Paul. Remember? I met you last week when we all first got here. Listen, 
I heard. I mean, Ricky told me all about it. Well, anyway, I'm really sorry about what happened to your family. Me and Ricky, we go back a long time. We've been best friends for three years already. We always seem to get into trouble together. Last year, we hung the girls' panties on the flagpole. Sorry. We got caught anyway. Could be a lot of rocks. Need some new bases. Sure. He wants to pay calls. Then there was this time last year. We locked down Weinstein out of the cabin with no clothes on. Boy, we get it for that one. Okay, bunk 19, time to go. Say goodnights and move out. I guess I gotta go. Well, good night, Angela. Good night. Good night. This is the first time Angela speaks. She says good night to Paul when he tells her good night. And when you hear her little voice, it's actually sort of funny. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> she has this very noticeable New York accent, which I think just sort of adds to the whole thing. Yeah. It's very funny. There is sort of a a DIY indie stage troupe feel to this, you know, just For like sure. <laughs> Let's get together and make a little production, and somehow it became like a real movie. <laughs> it does feel like the movie's being made up as they go to some a little degree. Bit. Obviously, they had a story of what they wanted to get to. Yeah, but the the in between feels like it's just random, right? What can we afford to do today? Yeah, yeah. We'll nude. play baseball <laughs> for ten hours. Yeah. A bunch of nude dudes go swimming, right? When they're unable to convince any girls to join them. Kenny ends up getting one to go into a boat with him, so he tries to make a move on a girl in a canoe, and it backfires when he dumps them into the water, so she swims away. An unseen person then drowns Kenny by holding him underwater. Oh, yeah. Once again, Mel is insistent that the death be ruled accidental. <laughs> despite really just able to give his opinion to the police. Yeah, despite doubts from Ronnie and local law enforcement. So yeah. <laughs> somehow... Ronnie was like, he's one of the best swimmers in camp. A camp owner can just overrule a cop yeah, no, in this no. town. <laughs> yeah. This was clearly an accident. The kids in Camp Nowhere were better behaved than the kids at this camp. No supervision. <laughs> they're like way better behaved. There's a couple of funny moments when they're finding Kenny's body. There's that guy flipping out about having to clean up I know. the lakefront. Calling all the he, kids peckerheads. Like, These peckerheads suck. <laughs> yeah. This is our introduction to Officer Frank who will show up later in the film. I don't want to spoil it, but there's something hilarious about Officer Frank coming later. Yeah. <laughs> Just unbelievable. <laughs> I can't even... Wow. Officer Frank is giving Mel the business a little bit. He's like, know, yeah, man. we'll get the coroner's report back, and Mel's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's an accident. Yeah. I don't really know how they'd be able to tell, though, that somebody actually drowned. Right. Him. I do like that camp just goes on, though. Well, yeah, that is one of the things that they don't do a great job explaining until the end where they sort of casually mention that a lot of people have left. Yes, that's true. They don't true. show that. That's right, yeah. And they don't bring it up earlier. But by the end of the movie, you're supposed to get the impression that like most of the camp has left and these are just the only people yeah. hanging on. You never think, oh, there's been a death at camp. Maybe we should take out the 
kids who were close to another death here some eight years ago. Yeah. Paul asks Angela to go to the camp's big movie night with him. She happily agrees. Much like Carrie, maybe things are turning around for poor Angela. Yeah. She's definitely talking now. She seems almost normal. <laughs> I, I was enjoying after they actually go to the movie, you can hear them all applauding the movie when it's done. Yeah. I kind of liked that. <laughs> wonder what the movie was. Yeah, really. In the volleyball scene, Judy is wearing a shirt that says Judy, which I love. I love I that too. I thought that was hilarious. That jumped out to me as well. Meg acts like more of a contemporary of Judy's rather than her yeah. counselor or I, someone that's in charge. And they gang up to I w- bully Angela together. I was definitely buying that though. That, oh yeah, that, that struck a chord with me. I was like, "This seems like definitely something that happens." It's a combination of Judy being the most mature of the girls and Meg being immature, right? So they sort of meet in the middle, yes, and they're on the same level. Susie acts as Angela's savior. She intervenes when Meg is giving her shit. It is odd that Meg gets so invested in the Angela thing rather than just being like, "Well, I'm gonna yeah. ignore this girl." There's times where it feels like she would be disinterested, but Judy's like, "Hey." Yeah. Look over here. We got to do something. This girl's having fun. Judy's like taping a kick me sign to Angela's back and Meg is just like running up full force and kicking her. (laughs) And then they're both laughing about it. It's like that level. I mean, it would just be like Angela's just sitting on a bench and Paul's talking to her and and Judy's like, hey, did you see what Angela's doing? She's just sitting there and a boy's talking to her. You need to stop this. In what all is this fairness? <laughs> yeah, I know it is annoying. Angela is skipping out on all the activities and just doing whatever she wants, which is just sit there. That would be the summer camp that I'd like to go to. <laughs> no events. I don't want to go to arts and crafts. A day. good usage of your parents' money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> After the movie, Paul and Angela share a couple of awkward goodnight kisses. She doesn't seem to be super thrilled about it. No. Paul needs to look up the phrase enthusiastic consent. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, well, could I have another one? Another good night kiss? And she's just like, what? No. Yeah. Did it seem like I liked the first one? Can you not tell by this face <laughs> the level of interest that I have in this? Of course, Judy is still watching everything. Clearly trying to hatch some sort of a scheme. We don't know what she's going to do, but rest assured it's not going to be great we for know Angela. It's bad. Where are we going? I want to show you something. I'm not mad I did that. I'm not mad. I better go in. Can I have another one? You know, another goodnight kiss. I have to go now. Good night, Angela. Good night. Hello, Paul. How you doing, Judy? You and Angela sure are becoming quite an item. So what? I just didn't think she was your type. <sighs> you know what I mean? I gotta go. <laughs> There's a boy in the guy's cabin that has a pretty cool Asia shirt. The band Asia. That's right. Yeah. Doesn't somebody else have a blue oyster cult shirt at one point? Maybe. I didn't see it. I think so. Pretty cool shirts. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool bands, too. Despite beginning to come out of her shell, Angela is still bullied with regularity by fellow campers and counselors alike. Meg loses her shit at Angela, (laughs) screaming at her and shaking her by the lake. 
when Meg gets into trouble for this, it infuriates her bitchy protege, yeah. Judy. And this is where Judy just cuts an all-time promo on, on Angela. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> hey, girls. Let's not forget to thank Angela for getting Meg in trouble. I didn't do anything. You never do shit. Hey, Angela, how come you never take showers when the rest of us do? She's a real carpenter's dream. Yikes. Flat as a board and needs a screw. <laughs> like, okay. I bet she's got no hair down below. I was like, good. Easy, Judy. <laughs> yeah, Susie doesn't even know how to deal with it. We get like a a moment straight out of Carrie when Susie just slaps Judy. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome because they're more closer in contemporaries. It's not like a teacher doing it. It's right. just someone a few years older. Just, yeah. like, laying the smack down. I mean, look, Judy was way out of line here. Oh, yeah, this is, like, rough bullying. <laughs> yeah, right. Because she's like, how come Angela doesn't take a shower with the rest of us? They're acting as if it's the, like the showers in Carrie, but then when you see the shower scene yeah, later... Yeah, stalls, like yeah, private stalls. I, I don't know. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> we can't go down that road. Really? After some campers throw water balloons at Angela and Ricky is once again forced to intervene, one of those bullies is stung to death like Macaulay Culkin in My Girl. Oh, yeah. When someone traps him in a bathroom stall and drops a hive of bees in it. Another elaborate way to kill someone. Yeah, it's sort of unrealistic. There's no guarantee this would work to actually kill somebody. Yeah. But when you see the end result, you're like, oh. I know. It's pretty fucked up looking. A lot of things to cover in what you just went through. First of all, these dudes up on the roof. Oh, yeah, I was getting to it. Uh, okay. <laughs> God. It's like, okay. Again, just no rules here. They're on like a slanted roof. Yeah. Throwing water balloons at each other's feet. <laughs> this is people at a camp. I know, really. When you talk about Mel and like uh, potential liability lawsuits, <laughs> somebody breaks their neck, slips and falls off of this roof that they're throwing water onto. Then they start throwing him at Angela. Ricky gets involved. Ricky's swearing at him. That's pretty funny. Oh, I know. And the way these these kids all talk to each other, it's like the most crass thing you've ever heard. Yeah. Even after this, when Billy or whichever one it is, it's like, all right, I got to go take a huge dump. Well, that's the guy that gets killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to take a big shit. Right. <laughs> You're like, okay. A heinous shit. I, it's something... <laughs> <laughs> it's just so absurd. You're like, I mean, the dialogue in this movie is just never ceased to impress me. Hey, 
What are you guys up to, huh? Yeah, we got a game against the counselors. You gonna play? Sure. I gotta take a wicked dump first, so I'll see you guys down there, right? Got it. See you later. It's just so like, eloquent. He's like that dude at camp. He just keeps making announcements all summer <laughs> long. Like, I gotta take a... <laughs> I can't It's just like, okay. Thanks. Yeah, I really needed to know that. <laughs> oh, God. Much like Mayor Vaughn in Jaws, Mel is more concerned with the negative impact on the camp than he is with the loss of life. <laughs> this camp will stay open. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But at least he finally accepts that there actually is a killer stalking the campground. Although Mel assumes it was Ricky, eventually Ronnie, the head counselor, is able to talk him out of it, though, for the time being. So he's got it in his head now that there's a pattern to these people that are getting knocked off. It's yep. people that fucked with Angela, and then Ricky's always there to jump in and save her. Right. He must be the one getting revenge for his cousin. Angela and Paul's budding relationship hits a snag when they start to kiss by the lake. Yeah, I really thought the snag was the goodnight kisses. I mean, it didn't really seem like they were going to come back from that. But she did seem happy to see him again after that. Yeah, she got over it. Yeah. And now she's ready to go back. But Angela has a flashback to when she and her brother spied on their father in bed with Lenny. Yeah, just a bizarre flashback, really. I mean, just the way it's shot. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's in a real place. It's, it's like a soundstage or something. sort of out of place from the way the rest of the movie feels. Yeah, which is a unique way to do it on a small yeah. budget, because it definitely stands out as For something sure. different that you're seeing. The flashback goes further, showing the siblings pointing at one another while sitting in bed. We're going to circle back to this yeah. later. <laughs> it feels unsettling. It's weird. It's hard to decipher the first time you see it. We're going to circle back at the end. At this point, Angela snaps out of the flashback, recoils from Paul's advances, and runs away. Evidently, Paul was expecting a lot from a 13-year-old and very quickly falls prey to Judy's seduction. <laughs> he Judy's call- just ready to swoop. Off camera, he calls Angela a prude as well. Look, folks, That's cold. I don't want to give away all my personal information, but I don't know that at 13, I was like this. I de- Actually, yeah. no, I could say for all certainty, I was not like this at all. This seems wild to yeah, me. Yeah, really. Same. 13. Yeah. <laughs> Good grief. I don't know. I guess the 80s were a different time. Angela then finds the two of them, Paul and Judy, kissing in the woods, the ultimate betrayal. This is straight up teens at summer camp drama which i love (laughs) if this could have been like the dramatic climax of the movie and i would have been all in (laughs) just betrayal in the woods that's right paul soon attempts to explain himself to angela at the lake but judy and meg shoo him away pick up angela and throw her into the water (laughs) against her will i know just brutal it's unbelievable that a counselor is acting like this meg is like out of control (laughs) really you can see judy because judy is still basically like a peer of yeah angela she's just a bully no meg is diabolical yeah it's like meg you're supposed to be the adult here i I don't know how old she's supposed to be in the movie but seriously you do have to wonder what's going on with meg and it gets even weirder yeah with her (laughs) there's definitely some darkness with Meg. yeah (laughs) the way she's excited okay we'll we'll get to it i know yeah (laughs) It is crazy. You'd love to see those notes from her therapy sessions. 
Mind if I sit here? Angela, I'm really sorry about what happened before. I really am. I don't know what happened. She just wouldn't leave me alone. Come on, Angela. Please, give me another chance, will you? Please. Back together so soon? Boy, Angela, you sure are forgiving. Especially after he told me what a prude you are. That is the word you used. Isn't it, Paul? I gotta go. <laughs> Bye, Paul. He's really no big deal. I mean, he's okay for you. How about a little swing? Huh, Angela? What do you say we get that beautiful bot of yours into the water? Ricky. Hi, Mel. Seems we uh, haven't had much of a chance to talk. How's your summer been so far? All right, I guess. Just all right? Well, would have been better if there were more guys around. It's kind of hard to get a ball game up now, you know? Yeah. It is a shame so many had to leave. So how about it, Angela? Let's go for a swim. Oh, what's the matter? You afraid? Well, say something, you spoiled little bitch. It's a problem. My good friend, Angela here, doesn't feel like going in the water today. Oh, she doesn't, does she? Well, I think I can fix that. No, stop it! Let me go! this bad publicity, I don't see how I can the camera. I asked you a question. Hey, what are you doing? It's like all those other times. She gets into trouble, you run to a rescue and try to take care of everybody. How are you going to do it this time? Another drowning or something worse? Hey, what are you talking about? Let me go! I saw you those times. In a wreck room at the water fight, you killed them. Ricky rescues Angela once again. Some children throw sand at them. <laughs> endless. I know. Jesus Christ, these kids. Well, the one counselor calls them animals, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Stop it, you animals. Ricky, who is now outright being accused of murder by Mel... <laughs> swears revenge on Angela's yeah. tormentors anyway. <laughs> yeah, because as Angela's being tossed in the lake, Mel's confronting Ricky and like grabbing Which him, I do and find accusing it, him of murder. I, I find it odd that that's his tactic, not go back to the police. He's like, I think this kid is the one that's been killing people. I'm going to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. It's the night of the big camp social. 
and things get even weirder. Meg gets the night off, and she goes and <laughs> approaches Mel, yeah. who's old enough to be her grandfather, and says, hey, how about that dinner at your place that you promised me? And he's like, oh, sure. How about 9, 9.30? Just a shocking moment. I looked this up. The actress that played Meg was about 18 or 19 at the time. Mm-hmm. The guy that played Mel was already in his 60s. Just a jarring age And he disparity. is not a good-looking 60. <laughs> no. I will say, there's been times on this show where you've said people's ages, and you're like, oh, huh, that's a surprise. Not this time. <laughs> this guy looks so old. I would actually looks think so he young. looks older than Yeah, that's 60. true. Yeah. It's so fucking bizarre. She's excited. This is definitely a date, because it's Such referenced a- as a date by yeah. her later. This is something that it seems like Mel has been pursuing for a while, just by the fact that he's kind of taken aback that this is the day that she finally... Yeah, but she's excited about it, which is the weirdest part. Yes, but it's still like... It's not like Mel is rich. No, but he's definitely taken a little bit by surprise that she says this, but it, it alludes to the fact that he's at least asked once before. It feels like maybe a couple times. Oh, God. Yeah. Just gross it is dark (laughs) just grotesque yeah getting ready for her big evening with mel meg is stabbed to death in the shower doesn't feel like multiple stabbing motions it feels like one stab and then like a pull down yeah it's done like through the shower itself like the plastic shower the knife goes like through her back this is the most traditional slasher style kill in the movie yeah not particularly creative when compared to some of the other shit they came Just up an with. outright shower stabbing. Later at the social, Paul apologizes to Angela, and she asks him to meet her by the lake that night. Mm. She actually says, meet me by the waterfront after the social. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, for some reason, one of the more famous lines, like everyone loves that line. Should be an indicator uh, not to do that. Meet me at the waterfront after the social. Mel eventually discovers Meg's body and is further convinced that Ricky is the culprit. Oh, and he has just lost it at this point. Yeah, he's Mel crazed. had a lot of big plans for that night. He's talking to himself. I'll avenge you, Meg. <laughs> oh, Meg, not you, Meg. It's a lot of like that going on. <laughs> for the on. rest of the movie, for the yeah. rest of Mel's existence. This is it. I mean, this was going to be a big night for him. <laughs> Yeah, and I loved how his big outfit was like these neon green slacks with like a bright yellow jacket. Yeah. Like that was his big date night outfit. Right. <laughs> Meg was just like, yes, please, Grandpa. It's so bizarre. <laughs> in the girl's cabin, the killer enters, punching Judy in the face, who's skipping out on the social. She was actually making out with a dude in there, and then he left. When she's knocked out, she's then raped with a hot curling iron while she's being smothered with a pillow. This is completely insane. I was, like, really stunned. I really wasn't expecting it to go to this level. Yeah. I wasn't 100% sure. This is what I just assumed was happening, but it's confirmed on Wikipedia, and then Felissa Rose on Joe Bob confirmed yeah. it, too. He's like, what did you That's do true. with the curling iron? And she's like, I stuck it up her vagina. That, that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is just implied in the yeah. movie. You can't really... It's not like you see it happen. Oh, no. <laughs> It's not like a Lars von Trier movie or something. Yeah, no, but it is disturbing nonetheless. Yes, of course, they would never do this kind of a kill now. This yeah. is insane. I think that's okay. I think there was a time for this to be in a movie, and we've gone past that. Yeah, it's a little dark, too, because, okay, obviously, 
Judy is a bitch, and in the rules of a slasher movie, she does deserve to die. Yes. But this is like this is cruel and over unusual. the top. Yeah. Because you know that the idea for something like this when like the big bully gets like the big comeuppance is yeah. to have the crowd react like cheer and yeah. be happy. And I, it is so dark. I am surprised that Judy is so taken out by one punch. Yeah. Well, she's not completely out. No, I know, she's, like, but groggy. she's right. Yeah. To the point that she basically can't move though. God, it is such a dark thing to think about Judy's parents like finding out about this. Yeah, I can't. Let's just move on from this topic. Right before this happens, when the door opens and she sees a figure standing there, they used the actor that plays Ricky. Yeah, yeah. It's clearly Ricky right. standing there for a minute. It's supposed to be ambiguous, but yeah. it's sort of like playing dirty a for little sure. bit, yeah. I think. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, in case people couldn't figure out what's go- where this is going. I don't think even the first time I watched this, I had any doubt as to who the killer was. Right. I mean, that's just not ever in question. For yeah, me. no, that is not a shock when it's finally revealed. Everything's ramping up. The sand-throwing children are discovered in the woods, hacked to death by a hatchet. News of these murders reaches the rest of the camp. Who just let these as- kids out of their sight? That, that one dude who went camping with them just and then was really taking bad, two of them back. Yeah, just a really bad job. News of these murders reaches the rest of camp just as Mel attacks Ricky. Yeah. Beating him mercilessly, <laughs> assuming he's the killer. Hey, really happy with himself when he kills this kid, too. Well, he doesn't. Ricky's alive. Oh, yeah, end. that's right. It is implied, though, it seems like, that he beat him to death at first because there's not a lot of motion coming from not even really any fight back. Yeah, well, he's a little kid. Yeah. But Mel is shot in the throat with an arrow by the real killer, and that's when you realize that the Ricky in the shadows outside of the girl's cabin is sort of an unfair trick. Right. You're like, oh, there's someone else killing people. Just insane aim with that arrow. I do think that it is possible to entertain the idea that there's more than one killer. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's fair. I don't think that's what they're going for at all. Right. But... When you see the way that the hands look, especially with that cook at the beginning, and then you see Ricky in the shadows here before Judy's killed, yeah, it is possible to go down that road, but I don't think that's what they're going for. I would agree. Officer Frank returns to the campground now with an obvious fake mustache that is just unbelievable. <laughs> I can't believe that they did a close-up of his face. He had a real mustache at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then when he comes back, it's the worst fake mustache you've ever seen. not just be part of Sleepaway Camp canon that he shaved his mustache? He probably thought, what's the big deal? Yeah. And they probably flipped out. And they're like, well, we need a mustache. That's right. The mustache is so dark, it doesn't match his hair. Okay, they, they're like, you're a police officer in the 80s. You have to have a mustache. Yeah, probably. Otherwise, no one's going to buy that you're a cop. Yeah. <laughs> And then they do most of the shots far away, but then when he goes in and he finds Meg's body, yeah. and then he comes out of the cabin, it's a close-up of his face. Right. It's not even remotely realistic. <laughs> it is so bad. I would say, yeah, it's like as insane as the close-ups of the stunt doubles in Hot Dog the Movie. <laughs> it adds to the charm, though. Absolutely. Where you're just like, okay, now yeah. he's wearing a fake mustache. I love it. It's great. Everyone's out searching for the remaining missing campers. Meanwhile, Paul shows up at the lake to meet Angela. 
who suggests that they go skinny dipping, all horned up and excited. Paul is not suspicious of this sudden and dramatic escalation in sexual activity from Angela. Yeah. This was a girl that previously didn't even want to kiss him, and That's now right. he's like, let's go skinny dipping. Yeah. Frank discovers Ricky, unconscious but alive, right as counselors Ronnie and Susie find Angela sitting on the beach and humming, Oof. with Paul, whose head appears to be resting on her lap as she strokes his hair. So they sort of conveniently have Ronnie's flashlight go out right before they hear the humming and discover Angela and Paul on the beach. Because if they didn't, okay, so let's pretend that the ending of this movie is different for a second. All right. I think that the camp counselors would react a little bit more to the seeing like two nude children on the beach being like not moving get your clothes back on right now what exactly. are you doing yes stop doing that instead they're just sort of like huh what's, what's going on over there what is that tune that she's humming so they make him have his flashlight go out so that conceivably you could believe that Susie and Ronnie don't actually see what the audience is seeing because the audience is seeing this from the back at first yeah and very noticeably Something's even though it's shadowed up. they're not wearing clothes yeah and so you'd be like, well, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Yes, there's a murderer on campus, but that doesn't mean that you kids can just start having sex on the beach. Yeah. And <laughs> Stop it's, it. it's definitely very clearly an unsettling scene going on here. Oh, yeah. For sure. You're not like, oh, I bet Paul's okay. Well, I don't know. You think? <laughs> well, not the audience, but yeah. from their perspective. Okay. All right. They're not assuming anything about Angela. No. Little tiny Angela. No, not Angela. Right at the pivotal moment, we're plunged into another flashback. It's Angela. Angela, are you all right? Angela, are you okay? Angela, can you hear me? living with us so much. Yes, I know you are. As a welcome home present, I bought you such wonderful new clothes. I just hope that Richard doesn't get jealous that I didn't get him anything. Oh, but then he is such a dear. I'm sure that he won't mind. You see, I've always wanted a little girl. But of course, when my husband left... Oh, well, that's all water under the bridge, as I always say. Water under the bridge. But it certainly will be a nice little surprise when Richard comes home to find a little girl in the house. Yes, I've always dreamed of a little girl just like you. I mean, we already have a boy, so another one simply would not do. Oh, no, absolutely not. A little girl would be so much nicer, don't you think so, Angela? Such a lovely name. Why, I believe it means angel. Why, yes, I'm sure it does. I know you're going to like that name. Won't you, Peter? This time we see Aunt Martha welcoming the survivor of the boat accident into her home. It is revealed that Angela actually died in the accident, and Aunt Martha took custody of Peter but she decided to raise him as a girl because she already had a son. Wow. Really dark. Aunt so you Martha. didn't see this coming at all? No. I I guess I just wasn't... I definitely 
was like, oh yeah, Angela's the killer. But when this was the twist, no, I, I, I did not see this coming. I would love to have that same experience. Unfortunately, I knew the ending okay. basically before yeah. it got there. I was still sort of impressed how they pull this off because right. it is so shocking. Yeah. And even though I knew what was coming, I was blown away by how they chose to do this all. Right. <laughs> it's such a bizarre twist that, I mean, you don't see this in a lot of movies, taking this angle. No, especially back then. Yeah. Back in the present, Angela leaps up, holding a hunting knife, allowing Paul's severed head to fall to the ground. Yikes. Standing completely nude and blood-covered with a horrifying frozen expression while growling like an animal. Yeah. Credits, basically. (laughs) It is like, what the fuck? Right. Clear outline of male genitalia. Oh, no, more than an outline. Yeah, okay. I mean, you Just see clear the whole display. Deal. Yeah. yeah. It's a full frontal naked male body, which was a local college student that they paid a couple hundred dollars to to like wear a mask. Oh, wow. So you can sort of tell when it yeah. cuts between the real Angela face and the mask. Right. Although I will say, even though you can tell the difference, the mask is sort of convincing. Yeah. And it's sort of disturbing. Right. And the sound that she's making oh, yeah. is also I mean, horrifying. It, I mean, it's animalistic. Yeah. I guess that dude, you know, they offered him a couple hundred bucks. He was like, great. And then he was like crying when doing that and like drinking a, like a full bottle of bourbon or oh, something. Oh, wow. Yeah. It turned into like a traumatic experience I for bet. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Standing there in the freezing cold well, naked. Watching it was a traumatic experience for me. So let's circle back to the first flashback for a second. The thing I didn't want to like hammer home because I felt like it spoiled everything was when they're sitting on the bed pointing at each other, the camera does this thing where it's spinning and every time it's Peter or it's Angela, it it becomes the other one. It keeps switching back and they're like overlaid on each other. Like the images sort of blend into each other. I do think that the ending can be interpreted in a lot of different ways and that the motivation to do this ending the interpretation of it would certainly change from 1983 until now i'd say so i do think that it is slightly problematic to rely on a shock factor of something like this as if genitalia in and of itself is supposed to be horrifying because that is like the big last thing is to be like freaked out by that yeah yeah. and it is possible that they're positioning the gay fathers in the same way like oh look at this freak show kind of a thing yeah i I never felt that way when watching it though because we're we're interpreting it under like modern day eyes i never felt that way either because i'm just seeing it as like okay this is actually pretty progressive that's true yeah that's the way it felt but that might have not have been the uh who knows i i think people have definitely speculated on it i do want to reiterate before i read some things from wikipedia here to get into the analysis that this movie was on the schedule for a long time. Okay. This was planned as early as last year's Greatest October. I knew that this would be a pick. Yep. This has nothing to do with the yeah. current Chappelle comedy special and all of the fallout of that. No. We're not doing it because of anything I, in I the news vouch. now. Yeah, you've definitely championed this movie to me for a long time. Told me that I should watch it. And, you know, I was like, well, I'll just watch it when we do it for the show. So I'm going to read some of the modern analysis from some transgender critics and writers and stuff, and we can sort of give our own perspective on the ending and what it all means. I think even before 
I read it, I'll just say this, and this is just my own opinion, and I know that I might be less qualified in, in some of this stuff when it comes to gender and all that stuff, but personally, I don't necessarily associate characters like Angela in the first Sleepaway Camp. We'll talk about the sequels in a minute. But I don't necessarily interpret this character that we see as Angela as someone who is what I would think of, at least, as like an actual transgendered person. This is somebody who's being forced to do something that is not who they are. Right. And that is what is horrifying about it. It's being forced to do something unnatural to them. Right. Yeah. I don't see how that necessarily equates with someone being who they really are, which is what I would always think of as like an actual transgender person. Yeah. I was, I would take it not someone who is having any crisis of gender, but more someone who experienced something very traumatic. And then it was almost like on top of that, went into a very horrible situation where they were forced to be someone who they weren't and the effects of that. So there really isn't like a straight up consensus when it all comes to this stuff. There's a lot of different viewpoints and interpretations of it. Film critic and transgender woman Willow McClay in an essay about sleepaway camp for the magazine Clio characterizes the film's ending in which Angela is revealed to have a penis as both a unique element that sets it apart from other slasher films of the era and also, quote, deeply trans-misogynistic. McClay criticized the film for its, quote, equation of mental instability with having grown up in a gender role not concurrent with your identity. Nearly every single transgender person grows up being raised in a gender role that does not fit, and that doesn't mean that they are mentally ill or seriously sure. violent. Which is true, but yeah, yeah. there is an opposing viewpoint almost immediately from B.J. Colangelo okay. in an editorial for Dread Central wrote, The ending of Sleepaway Camp offers two reveals that are wildly offensive to the LGBTQ plus community, referring to the reveal of Angela's penis as transphobic and the reveal that their deceased father was a homosexual as homophobic. However, and Colangelo adds that the film, quote, is terrible transgender representation, yes, but it's an incredible metaphor about how forcing gender roles onto someone that doesn't align with who they are is fucking dangerous. If Peter had not been forced to live his life as Angela, the events of Sleepaway Camp would have been avoided, unquote. That's right. When I see the end of this movie... I go down like a way deeper rabbit hole as to what's going on with Aunt Martha. Yes. You know, and like it could go way beyond this. I mean, it's not just like a gender role thing. You're forcing someone to be their dead sister. Oh, yeah. You're not just forcing someone to be the opposite to it. sex. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's even darker. It's way yeah. more diabolical. Yeah. Aunt Martha seems completely insane. I do want to add that Colangelo clarifies that she is not arguing that gender dysphoria causes those experiencing it to become murderers but rather that, quote, children experiencing gender dysphoria and living in non-affirming homes are prone to depression, thoughts of suicide, and yes, sometimes violent outbursts. Transgender writer Alice Collins of Bloody Disgusting stated that Sleepaway Camp is, quote, steeped in queerness, especially when compared to its contemporaries. In its day, it took a deeper look into the subject matter than that of other films. Angela and Peter's dad is a closeted gay man. There's forced gender bending which is abuse rather than queer, but people will see it as such. And the majority of the scantily clad people in the film are men. 
with all of those very short shorts that leave little to the imagination while there is little skin shown of the feminine variety. That is noticeable. Collins argues that Angela is a transgender girl, noting that in the film's sequels, Angela is presented as a woman who uses feminine pronouns, quote, so despite Aunt Martha being insane, she just happened to stumble upon a person who was already a girl and it was an accident that her brainwashing worked. I don't necessarily know if that's what they were going for. Like I don't think stretch. there was. Z- I think there was zero thought yeah. put into the sequels. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what exactly the the thought process was with Hiltzik, the writer director. I don't know if he even necessarily thought of Angela as a transgender person. I think the term they used back then, which is now outdated, would be transsexual. I don't think that's really even probably what he was thinking. It doesn't feel that way to me. Obviously, when a movie is almost 38 years old, it's not going to age perfectly. Definitely. I think attitudes towards these subjects have changed dramatically. And I I do think it's sometimes silly to waste a lot of time and energy wringing your hands over a movie that's a few decades old. Yeah. What is the point? I'm not really sure. But I will say this, it's memorable. <laughs> For sure. And boy, did they do a good job of having a shocking ending. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Angela's supposed to be 13. It doesn't matter what genitalia she has. The fact that she's naked at the end of the movie is shocking. You're yeah, just really. like, what in the world is this? <laughs> it is crazy. It feels taboo. It feels forbidden for a variety of reasons. And you brought up an excellent point, which is beyond the the forced gender bending, there's the idea that this is his sister right? that he's pretending to be or is being forced to be. And does Ricky really know nothing of this? No, I don't think so. Okay, it just seems crazy. So that's a lot of tap dancing that Martha has to do. I guess. To make this all work. Yeah, there's a whole level to it that we don't even know yeah. about. Now, I only watched the movie in its entirety once, but I did rewatch parts of it. Uh, today just to kind of get myself back the in the skinny mood. dipping scene yeah that's right yeah all the scenes with the guys wearing the shortest cut crop tops as possible <laughs> Rewatching the the beginning the tragedy at the lake yeah it's very clear that peter is the one who lives yes i didn't pick up on it the first time no i didn't even either and i knew because it's kind of, of it's hard they throw a lot at you you don't know who all these characters are you don't know how they're going to play into things right like as far as you know the people like water skiing are like the main characters of the movie at that point. Yes. You just don't really know what's going on. But it is there right before the kids go to camp. Martha, we talked about the physicals, but she basically is like, make sure you don't tell them that I was your doctor. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of clues. You would have no idea where this is heading That's the right. first time you watch it. Absolutely. So you don't know what these clues even are for. Yeah. There were a few sequels. In 1988, we had Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers. Robert Hiltzik was no longer involved. He sold the rights to the sequels. Felissa Rose does not return as Angela. The role of Angela is played by none other than Bruce Springsteen's sister, Pamela Springsteen. Emilio Estevez's sister, Renee Estevez, is also in the second film. She was in Heather's as well. We mentioned her in that one. Star-studded cast of People's Sisters. The next year, in 1989, there was another sequel, Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland. Michael J. Pollard from Bonnie and Clyde is in it, sort of as like the new Mel. He's like a creepy 
camp counselor guy who's trying to fuck like a 20 year old he's like Yikes. a million years old there's always a new male ready to slide into that role Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 are sort of entertaining in a very satirical, non-serious way. Yeah. As that one quote pointed out, there is a brief mention at the beginning of Part 2 that Angela had a sex reassignment surgery, and it's never mentioned again. She's just Angela the killer, basically. Is Angela... Angela is just like the killer for the, the next two movies? Yes. Okay. And there's no mystery about it yeah, it's yeah. very cheesy and satirical it's hard to even explain it the vibe is completely different from right. the first one okay she's just like a slasher killer at that kind point? of yeah okay but it's comedic it's not say. like something where she's like doubling like oh she's you know how they did that with like norman bates when he would come back and like he's rehabilitated himself no she's like hiding her identity like everyone okay. is aware of what happened at camp arawak I a see. few years yeah, earlier, yeah. but she's pretending to be other people. Right, okay. Sort of a thing. They attempted another sequel in the early 90s called Sleepaway Camp for The Survivor. It was left unfinished, and it eventually found its way onto being a bonus feature on one of the Blu-rays or something like that. I've never seen it. I don't even know how completed it is. No idea. Don't know much about it. In the early 2000s, Return to Sleepaway Camp was started with Robert Hiltzik returning as director, Felissa Rose returns. I think she plays a couple of different roles in the movie. I've never seen it. It doesn't have great reviews. I don't really think it's good. It yeah. took forever to finish okay. because they ran out of money. It eventually came out in 2008. So it's uh, not on the watch list, you would say? I would watch it, but I haven't seen it available anywhere. Right. I don't know. I haven't really looked for it. And there is speculation that a further sequel or straight-up reboot is potentially in the works. I don't really know how far along that is or if if it's going to be like a high-budget thing, like a Blumhouse or something like that, or if it's an indie thing, you know, like a GoFundMe. Sure. I have no yeah. idea right. like how, what level that would even be at. Yeah. If you listen to our recent Give Us a Second about the Friday the 13th films, I would assume that they would have to do something like the 2009 yeah. Friday the 13th, which is like do a remake that is almost like a sequel because sure. I don't really see how you could just retell the same story. That, I don't know. Does, is, I don't know that would work. It is a trickier one, though. You open yourself up to it being a pretty controversial topic if you go back and make something similar to the original movie. Yeah, yeah it would have to be done a lot differently, yeah. probably. Right. And on that note, do we want to do recommendations? No, or not? no. I thought we agreed we were going to do them. No, now we, we agreed that we again. weren't. No, I don't want to do them. <laughs> I think maybe we'll come back and we'll have some appropriate recommendations. We'll say that. Okay, we'll take this week off from recommendations. We'll keep this episode fairly short. Got a lot left to get to in Greatest October. Thanks for listening. So stick with us. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. As Matt pointed out at the beginning, please give us a rating and review. We love it. If you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. Just hit us up. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. It's hard to say exactly how many episodes are left in this year's Greatest October, but there will at least be a couple. That's right. Yeah. There's some more. We don't know how many more. We'll see how this week goes. It keeps it fresh when we don't know what's going to happen. We're cramming a lot in here at the end. Yeah. 
But as promised, we're not really taking like a huge break this year afterwards. So who cares how many there are? We're going to keep rolling anyway. The fun never stops. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Obviously, I think we should get together in the city next weekend. I'll call my parents, and you can talk to your dad. Listen, Coop, last night was really great. You were incredibly romantic and heroic, no doubt about it, and that's great. But I've thought about it, and my thing is this. Andy's really hot. And don't get me wrong, you're cute too, but Andy is like cut from Marvel. He's gorgeous. He's like this beautiful face and this incredible body and I genuinely don't care that he's kind of lame you know I don't even care that he cheats on me and, and I like you more than I like Andy Coop but I'm 16 and maybe it'll be a different story like when I'm ready to get married but right now I am entirely about sex I just want Andy yeah. I want to take him and grab him and just fuck his brains out you know so that's where my priorities are right now sex specifically with andy and not with you but you're really nice i mean everybody thinks so and i'm sorry if if this isn't the direction that you saw things going between us i still totally want to be friends <laughs>